Hello, my name is Andrew Gamison, and it is my privilege each and every week to welcome you to the Culture Watch podcast, a podcast of Speaking for Him. I hope that you had a wonderful week here in the great state of Michigan. We are digging ourselves out from the white stuff. We had a pretty low amount of that in November and December, and so now I guess we are making up for it. Uh, but I am excited that these weather patterns change often, and in the extended forecast, I see some melting in the near future, so that is something that I can look forward to. Well, as I said, uh, my name is Andrew Gomison, and it is my privilege to be here with you for this walk through current events and news from a Christian perspective. And we do this podcast because it's important for us to realize that while we are called not to be of the world, we are certainly called to be in the world. And we are here to be salt and light. And so my hope is that this time looking at these things, these important things for our culture, will give you encouragement and motivation to continue to shine as lights in an increasingly dark world and in the culture in which we find ourselves. So I'm really excited to be here and I hope that you will be blessed. Let's get started with news from the week of January 15th. We start out our news coverage this week with an interesting story out of the state of New York. More proof that liberals don't care about you, the tax-paying American citizen. Democrat-run New York City shutting down an entire school and forcing kids to learn remotely, remotely today, just so they can house 2,000 illegals from a storm. The migrant move infuriating the hell out of parents. Why at the cost of our children? Why at the health of our children? Because we're bringing the kids back and we're not sure what was used, what was sanitized. There's drugs, there are knives, there are needles, there's guns. One of the teachers that show up said good morning, gave him an assignment, said goodbye. It is very disruptive when you come and take over our school. And it's not even fair to the migrants as well. We told you that this is not sustainable and we need a better sustainable plan. Dana, can you get more of a cause and effect of liberal policies? You take outside burdens as a policy that you cannot handle and who suffers the actual citizens. This is the welfare state in a nutshell. They're going to push people to a point where, whereas it was it seven or eight years ago when President Trump was first in office, uh, they, people were outraged at the idea of any sort of deportation. Mm-hmm. They're going to push people who might have said that Trump was in the wrong to the point where they're saying, yeah, Mm-hmm. out without any sort of hearing because this is getting to be outrageous. We already know that remote learning was a disaster for taxpaying citizens, children, and now this happened again. Plus, the other thing is that this community told the mayor that it wasn't going to work in this area just because 
when the bad weather comes, it's there's a lot of wind there. It soaks up all the water. And they had to go and get the migrants and pull them out of there at 4.30 in the morning. So if you feel bad for the migrants, you'd feel bad for them in that regard. It is a total mess. And if you want to turn a blue state red, this is how you do it. Mm, you know, Jesse, I'm looking, it's the weather. I blame climate change. <laughs> they will. <laughs> It's climate change. <laughs> I know. I can't believe it. I, I, I can't believe these people like Nancy Pelosi keep saying they care about the kids, Greg, because I'm sick of it. No one cares about the kids. No one. You inject them with poisonous, sugary chemicals all mm-hmm. day, breakfast, lunch and dinner. Mm-hmm. You're doing experimental sex change operations on them just to make cash. You're throwing screens in their face, rewiring their brains for money. They're trafficking children all over the world. They're calling it a conspiracy. We take kids out of school for two years just so a few Teachers could avoid a virus and then we're going to take them out again because migrants want to come in while New York has 50 percent of the office space unoccupied. Why don't they put these migrants in one of these beautiful towers where there's showers Mm -hmm. instead of sticking in a school with kids? Fauci says that they didn't really lose any learning during the two years. Mm -hmm. So he's still in denial. And Biden's never going to be asked about it. And if he is asked about it, we say, what? He's always pretending like he can't hear. He's like, what? He's just trying to buy time. And then Adams is, you know, he's got this looming indictment. So he's scared out of his mind to do anything about it. It's like they are literally, Greg, literally replacing (laughs) American kids. This is not a theory, Jessica. So we have a situation in New York where they have clearly aligned themselves with this idea of the sanctuary state or the sanctuary city, they've clearly said, we want all immigrants to be able to come here with no restrictions whatsoever. And so now they're left with the responsibility of coming up with the best way for this to happen. How can we house these immigrants and let them be in a place that they can be taken care of? And their solution was to close this school and to force the students to begin learning remotely so that the migrants would have a place to stay. Now, I am not opposed to immigration. And as a matter of fact, I think it's high time that we as a nation re-examine our immigration policy and sit down and pound out a more reasonable immigration policy for the country of the United States. I have seen multiple couples that I know struggle with the immigration process. I think there's probably many ways in which it is broken, so it needs to be re-examined by the legislature and the president. But the problem is that rather than take a serious look at the issue through the legislature, we tend to just kick the can down the road and say, oh, we should just open our borders, no holds barred, and let anybody in who wants to be in. But I feel like a lot of people don't realize that the beauty of being an American citizen and the beauty of coming to America to pursue the American dream is made possible by the fact that we have immigration standards. As I said, are some of them too high? And could they be more feasible? Absolutely. I 100% believe that. But you don't achieve that by ignoring the laws that are in place. Then you take a look at this particular issue of housing these migrants and you put them in a school 
when, as Jesse Waters says in this clip, that there are perfectly good empty office buildings that are in much better shape to house people than is this school building. And so I agree with him. They should look at the best possible place for these migrants to go instead of doing the thing that makes the splash on the news. Uh, I think what they are trying to do is garner sympathy and make the states that do not allow this feel bad by saying we are even willing to displace our own children in order to make this happen. Uh, But even native New Yorkers, you heard uh, several parents in this clip who said, we are not happy with this. Why are you sacrificing the safety of our kids and their learning so that you can put these migrants up in a place that's not even really a good situation for them either? And so I really do feel like we need to revisit this issue on a major scale and say what needs to be different about it overall because there definitely does need to be a difference. If you look at the Old Testament, you will find that the Jewish people were allowed to admit Gentiles into the Jewish community. They were allowed to be a part of the Jews. You can point to at least two prominent Old Testament examples where this happened. It happened with Rahab, who was rescued by the Israelites and went on to marry Salmon, who was the father of Boaz, who was the father of Obed, uh, who was born of Ruth the Moabitess. So Boaz learned from his father uh, not to discriminate on the basis of race, but rather to marry someone who was willing to put their trust in Almighty God. And in both Rahab and Ruth's case, this is something that they did. You know, when we look at the story of Rahab, we can be tempted to believe that she was rewarded for lying on the behalf of the Israelites. But that's not really what she was rewarded for. Rahab was rewarded because these men said, if you put this scarlet thread in your window then everyone who's in your house will be rescued by us when we come to take Jericho. And they were true to their word. And she had faith to believe that they would be. That is what she was rewarded for. It was her faith that was rewarded. And I think in the same way as Israel welcomed people who wanted to be a part of Israel into their community, The United States of America wants to welcome people who want to be American. But as I've said before, I feel like the modern philosophy is one of America as an ice cube tray rather than a melting pot. Yes, your individual culture is important. It's important to know where you came from. It's important to value traditions from your culture. But at the end of the day, We need to stop calling out divisions and start saying we are Americans and be unified in the 
goal and the dream of being American. That's what gives America its strength. And I really hope that we can get some good people into office in 2024 that are going to further that vision. We need to be united, not divided. And this whole modern idea of the oppressed versus the oppressor and races divided against one another, all it's doing is creating division and making it harder for America to stand. Jesus said, and Abraham Lincoln later echoed, a house divided against itself cannot stand. So we need to cease being divided and be united, and we need to be willing to articulate that there is a path to being an American and it's worth taking. I'll never forget sitting in the break room at Potter's house, Christian high school and learning from my coworker who is an Indian from India, American. She's an Indian American and learning what it meant to her to become a citizen of the United States and to be able to work and teach here and to impact so many children uh, academically and also for the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, my friend Anna is a very amazing teacher and I'm so glad that she's here in America sharing her gifts. Um, but I remember her saying how frustrating it was to her that so many people tried to get into America the easy way and didn't put the effort into going through the citizenship process. So I really think that that's an important thing to remember, that the very benefits of being a citizen come from the effort that is put forth uh, in the process. And I think we have an overall problem in our country and probably in our world today that says that anything that's hard isn't worth doing. And we really need the opposite philosophy, which says if it's worth doing, it's probably going to take some effort and it's going to make you a better, more high quality, more focused individual if you put in that effort. I can tell you from personal experience that that is true. So my next story actually comes from a familiar name, which we haven't mentioned as much lately, but it's an admission from Dr. Fauci that the six feet apart social distancing mandate that went along with COVID-19 actually didn't have anything to do with science. Hey, Dr. Anthony Fauci, now admitting social distancing wasn't based on science. Fauci telling a House committee this week the idea standing six feet apart, quote, just sort of appeared. The shocking admission comes nearly four years after statements like this. Every aspect of that ending the COVID outbreak in 30 days has some aspect of it, a physical separation, whether that's avoiding crowds, whether that's staying six feet away from people, whether that's doing teleworking, all of it does that. That's our most important tool. 
here with Reaction Fox News medical contributor, Dr. Mark Siegel. So, Dr. Siegel, I want to get your reaction, but do you remember the great links that schools went to to separate desks, to put up plexiglass, the links that we all went, went through when we were in the grocery store, standing six feet apart, people would yell at you if you got too close to them. All of that for nothing. There's no scientific proof that that even worked. It came from somewhere, Ainsley, and I'll tell you where it came from in a minute, but what I want to say is the biggest damage was done by extending it past a couple of weeks to slow down the initial surge of hospitalizations in New York. That we didn't know what to do. But the problem is the science that started to emerge after that is contrary to what this came from. It didn't come from nowhere, the way Dr. Fauci said. It came from 1918 science. That's what it was. In 1918, we had a flu virus, which actually didn't go as far as COVID, didn't spread all over the place. It rode along the flu on large droplets. So in St. Louis... Dr. Max Starkoff, who was the city health commissioner, and in Washington state, Thomas Tuttle, epidemiologist, they shut things down and they had an impact. But it's a different virus. And here, as early as February 2020, Ainsley, we found out in Nebraska, and I was out there interviewing the researchers, they said, COVID's all over the room. COVID's spreading through communities. So the idea of social distancing didn't come out of nowhere, but it came out of 1918, and we already knew better. And you made the most important point of all. It wasn't, it was one thing to say six feet apart, but a lot of poor schools couldn't do that. So they closed and they missed the main thing they should have done, which was ventilation, opening windows. That actually has an impact. So he wrote along on 1918 science and stuck with it. Just it's so upsetting because um, we went through so much during that period. And it seems like every time we learned something new from Dr. Fauci, it was all made up. I mean, it didn't even have well, direction. There was no science there. And I got to also point out, I and many others warned in early 2020 that it was going to have extreme collateral damage on our children, that they were going to have learning problems as a result. So now he's saying there's no there's no proof of that. There's total proof <laughs> of that. And it took The New York Times three years to come along and I agree with that. OK, so we finally have admission from Fauci. Of what a lot of us already suspected to be true, which is that the six feet apart rule for COVID was just something basically made up to make us all feel better. Now, let me be careful and say this, that I do believe that if you are exhibiting symptoms of an illness and you have to be out and about in a crowd, wearing a mask would not be the worst thing in the world to be polite and to navigate through society. So what we're mainly talking about here is telling perfectly healthy people to mask up and to be six feet apart so that they can go out and be among people. And there were so, so many weird policies that came from that thought process that made things difficult on people. And I remember thinking when we first went home from work for that two weeks to slow the spread, I'll never forget it because it was a Friday because it was the 13th. It was Friday, March 13th, 2020. And they said, we're going to come back in three weeks because spring break uh, is the third week. And then that will give us three weeks. And then we will hopefully be back in class. And I remember when this happened, thinking, well, this is a good thing. We don't know a whole lot about COVID yet at this point. 
I think the biggest thing we can do is do a deep cleaning of the school and hopefully get people back into class after we've done that and have some good safety measures in place for doing class throughout the rest of the semester of 2020. Instead, it was the last time in 2020 spring that we would be in the school building and we had to make some extremely unique uh, plans for celebrating graduation and all of those wonderful things that you usually anticipate in the springtime. And I really feel like this is a place where a lot of government officials throughout the country miss the ball is that I felt like a lot of times instead of saying, let's make a plan for being open, they looked at the numbers alone and said, well, if the numbers are going down by this much after three weeks, let's make it three more weeks or six more weeks. And how can we ever forget here in the state of Michigan how Traverse City into the north opened up several weeks before the rest of the state. And then the people in Traverse City got upset because there were people coming from the south in Michigan to spend time in Traverse City because it was the one area that was open. There was just a whole lot of inequality in COVID policies and what we should have been doing is doing our best to figure out how we could navigate COVID instead of trying to avoid it. Because at least in those early days, it certainly seemed to me like the people that were working the hardest to avoid it were the ones who were the hardest hit. And I am thankful for that time in my life because it led me to doing my podcast at home and really expanded what I would be able to do. Um, and one of the reasons I'm able to do two podcasts a week is because of what I learned during 2020, but there were definitely a lot of mistakes made during that period and giving us the six feet apart rule uh, just based on what sounded good was definitely one of those things. Well, I am super excited as a Michigan fan to say that Michigan has won the football national championship. I remember the last time they won in 1997. They shared it with Nebraska. But this year, they became the first team to achieve a perfect 15-0 record, and they beat the Washington Huskies 34-13 to capture an outright national championship. Wolverines have four at the line of scrimmage. Penix in a shotgun. Puts Westover in motion towards his own sideline. Wolverines, here comes the pressure. Penix fires over the middle, and it is intercepted. Mikey Samus, they're going the other way. 20, 25, 30. Mikey Samus to the 40, to the 50. Mikey Samus still down the field. Inside the 20. Puts back inside at the 10. And he's dragged down at the Washington 6-yard line. The legend of Mike Sanristil continues to grow. Fourth and 13. Dogs down by 14 with 4.46 to go. 
Penix takes the snap. Penix looking to throw. Fires. Intercepted. Sainer still. Sixth pick of the year across the 20. 25-30. Angles right side across the 40. Blockers in front. 50. He might house this thing. Across the 30. Across the 20. And finally taken down by Jack Westover inside the 10-yard line. Sixth interception this year for the All-American. Mikey Sainer still. And the Wolverines are completely in command with a 14-point lead and 429 on the clock. So there you have, I believe, the calls of the Michigan Wolverines radio team and the Washington radio team for those respective colleges. And what a wonderful privilege it was to be able to see Michigan capture that national championship. They have been in the playoff three straight years. They fall, fell short the last two years. J.J. McCarthy, I really like this kid a lot. First of all, it came out during the lead-up to the championship that when J.J. was a senior in high school and Michigan was going through some really great struggles as a football team that he wrote on his social media, don't worry have faith that everyone in Michigan is working to bring this program back to prominence. And then he comes on board, captures the starting job, and he was 27-1 and as a starter in the Michigan Wolverines backfield as the quarterback. And that is an amazing record. And he just shows incredible poise most of the time. He's not a perfect quarterback by any stretch. And actually, I hope that he comes back for one more year as the Michigan signal caller because I think that he can still grow and mature in some ways before he goes into the NFL. But I really think that he is a great competitor, a wonderful young man. There's a picture of him uh, standing on the field after losing last year in the semifinal and going home with that bitter taste, but saying at the closing press conference, we'll be back next year. And he and Blake Corum and several other guys who could have gone into the NFL draft, said, no, we're going to come back. We have unfinished business to do, and we're going to get it done. And Blake Corum, in the trophy presentation, during the national championship celebration, said, I have three words for you. Business is finished. And that was really exciting for me. Another thing that's exciting to me is just the sheer number of players on the Michigan Wolverines who profess faith in Jesus and seem to live it out both on and off the field. Blake Corum is a really solid believer, um, and his backup, um, Donovan Edwards, is a solid believer. And then I just saw a post from Zach Zenter, who was a lineman who was injured during the Michigan Wolverines push to the title, you know, toward the end of their regular season. And he credited his faith 
um, and was very bold about that and thanked Michigan for the four years he got to play there. Um, Jim Harbaugh has been vocal about his faith in a way that I hadn't seen for years since I used to really like watching him as the quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts. So a lot of good things happened for this team this year, and I'm just so excited to be a part of it as a fan. You know, when you're the fan of a franchise or a college, you go through a lot of uh, angst year after year often waiting for them to have success so that when they do have success, then it's exciting for you as a fan to know that you waited all these years, but they got it done. And so props to the amazing Maize and Blue. I am so happy for you, and I look forward to next season to see if we can do it again. And on that note, I hope that Jim Harbaugh comes back. He still has yet to make his decision whether to stay in the NCAA, in college football, or to jump to the NFL. But I really do hope he comes back. Well, that is almost all that I have to share with you today, but I wanted to end today by sharing with you a clip from Charlie Kirk that really puts into perspective why I do what I do. Why do I come to you each week with the Speaking For Him podcast And why do I come to you each week with the Culture Watch podcast? I know that one of the reasons that I split up this uh, into two podcasts was because some people were getting annoyed by my news commentary. But as I evaluated it and thought about giving it up and just focusing on the devotional nature of speaking for him and doing movie reviews and uh, doing interviews with others, I realized that I couldn't stop bringing you current events and news. And this clip from Charlie Kirk really typifies why I continue to do what I do, particularly in regards to Culture Watch. What Jesus told us is to be salt and light. Now we hear that, but we don't think deeply about what it means. What does salt and light have in common? They change the environment that they come in contact with. Light brightens up a dark place and salt will make something saltier. College campuses are very dark places. In some ways, I'm almost like a cultural missionary. Now you are right about the radicals, but I'm going to give you a little bit of hope. Gen Z boys are the most conservative generation of boys since 1975. I see these young boys, the most based, the most outspoken activists that I've ever come across are 16, 17, 18-year-old young men. And I'm going to tell you why. They They are looking for anything that says it's okay to be a man. Come on. Anything. Our culture is so feminine. It's toxically feminine, honestly that we are creating, and by the way, the women are the ones that agree the most when I say it. So it's so funny, because they know <laughs> that young boys are going to lead, I think, one of the most fun, exciting, 
rebellious counter-revolutions in American history against all of this woke nonsense. And you see it by with Joe Rogan's podcast, with the ascendance of Jordan Peterson, of Peter Atia, Andrew Tate, who's a mixed bag, but you know, he says some good things. But young boys are like, finally, somebody is telling me that having a high testosterone rate and not dressing like a metrosexual and actually lifting weights and embracing this idea of going on an adventure is a healthy and a good thing. So there's some hope. And I'll tell you another piece of hope. This happened at University of New Mexico, despite all the nonsense they threw at us. Every single campus tour I have done in the last 12 months, except one, which was intentionally derailed by the administration at UC Santa Davis. That's the only one. We could not find rooms big enough to fit all the students that wanted to attend our on-campus events. Every single one. We have waiting lists of students that want to come. So yes, the radicals, but there is this amazing movable middle. And they see the disaster of wokeism. I am not very optimistic politically right now. I'm kind of in the middle. I'm unbelievably optimistic culturally. There is a freight train coming for the woke. There is something, ha I'm telling you, I see it. It's happening on social media. It's happening on TikTok. It's happening on Instagram. These people have no arguments. They can't defend themselves. And do not be shocked. This is what turning, this is why Turning Point USA, in my opinion, is the most important organization in America. Is that if we can make this happen in two or three years and Gen Z becomes conservative, every one of their models is wrong. They have, th th this, this will get so out of control. So there is hope, everybody. The, the, the reinforcements are coming. And so I'm going to keep on talking to the fools. And that is why I do what I do. Because ultimately, every political issue is a moral issue. And it's important for we as believers who are the standard bearers of definite, unmoving, unchanging moral truth to have positions on these moral issues and to say, I have this position on this moral issue because the word of God, which is the unchanging truth of the God of the universe, supports this position. The word of God says that all life is valuable. The word of God says that marriage is between one man and one woman for a lifetime. The word of God says that we are to love one another with all of our hearts. But it also says that Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. The word of God says there is only one truth. We are not obligated to let people live their truth, but rather we are obligated to share with them the truth of Scripture, the truth of who Jesus is, and to let them know that Jesus can and will continue to change life. Remember what Charlie said at the beginning of this clip. He said, we are called to be salt and light in the world. And salt and light has an impact on the things which it comes in contact with. Why do we put salt on our food? We put salt on our food to enhance the flavor, to make it something that we want to eat more of. That is our goal in this society is to give them the salt of truth 
and to encourage them to embrace it. Why do we turn on a light switch? We turn on a light switch so we don't walk in darkness. We turn on a light switch so we don't stumble. Why are we stumbling around as a culture today? Because we're not looking up to the light. We are looking everywhere but up. People today often claim that they're looking for answers, but then you point them to the Word of God and they say, oh, that's too narrow-minded. That's too rigid. That's too bigoted. That's not what I'm looking for. But it's the only hope we have, is the hope that we hold in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's about all I have time for this week. Again, I hope that if you are encouraged by what you've heard, that you will share it with your family and friends. That's how more people find out about Speaking for Him and both of our podcasts, Culture Watch and the Speaking for Him podcast. And I hope that you will, if you haven't already, give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. That truly does help people find us. And it just is an encouragement to my heart to read any reviews. Again, you can use the contact information at the end of the show to give us any other feedback. Maybe there's a news story that you think we should cover. Uh, maybe you have your own opinion on some of the news stories that I covered this week. Whatever the case may be, I want to hear from you. And of course, if you would like prayer or encouragement, you can reach out for that purpose as well. With all this being said, I will simply end by saying, have a great week and keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.